The New Testament has 27 books. It is comprised of 260 chapters and 7,957 verses. So on my first trip to the Holy Land, I had the audacious goal of wanting to seek one simple, succinct sentence that would summarize the totality of the New Testament. So in preparation for this trip to the Holy Land, I called uh, one of the Christian brothers there at the University of Bethlehem, Christian University there, Catholic University in Bethlehem, made my arrangements. I called him when I got my flight, and I was going to land at 2.30 in the morning from Amsterdam. So I called him and said, Brother Peter, please do not come and get me at that hour. I'll just take a train or a bus from Ben-Gurion Airport to Bethlehem. And he just laughed and he went, Robert, you have so much to learn. And I was exactly right. I did. I had a lot to learn because I grew up knowing that there was some vague conflict in the Holy Land between the Palestinians and the Israelites or the Israelis. So I, uh, I, I, I began to do some research, but it didn't hit me until I got on the ground and got in the car with Brother Peter. And he began to fill me in about what it was like. But then that hour drive, and we come to Bethlehem, and there I see the wall. And immediately, the tonnage of concrete that comprises that wall just fell on my shoulders. We go to the gate at that wall, and here come the Israeli soldiers with their machine guns checking our credentials. The wall was built because the Israelis are scared. They're afraid of the terrorism that the Palestinians have done, and the Palestinians feel choked behind that wall. Felt like there was no answer to that. The weight of the conflict weighed on me so heavily to where I could not get into the pilgrimage that I wanted. So I, I go to the, the Church of the Nativity. Nothing. I decide to make a pilgrim walk from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and I'm seeing the place where David was anointed as king. And I'm seeing the place where Ezekiel saw the wheel within the wheel. And the Holy Land is just bouncing off of me. The first place that I go when I get to Jerusalem is I wanted to go to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. On my approach to the Western Wall, I see this sign. And it says, the divine presence never leaves the Western Wall. The divine presence never leaves the Western Wall. So I sat and I looked at that sign for a bit, and I walked up, and here was this place where you could write down a piece of paper, uh, a prayer. So I wrote something down, I folded it up, and I made my approach to the wall itself. I tucked it into the corner of the wall. I put my left hand up and then my right hand up. And I just prayed what was on the, on the uh, paper that I had written. I said, Lord, God of the universe, this place is weird. And I just began to complain to God. And I said, this is your holy land? You've made a covenant with this place? but it's filled with conflict and contradiction. And I just began to complain more. And then the thoughts that came to me were this. 
yes, Robert, this is my holy land. And I have made a covenant with this place and I will not leave. And the thoughts continued. You, Robert, are also my holy land. And you are filled with conflict and contradiction. But I've made a covenant with you, Robert, and I will not leave you. And the thoughts continued. And the church is my holy land. And I've made a covenant with my church and I will not leave. At that point, I went, yeah, you're right. Your divine presence never leaves this wall. <laughs> and it was there that I got the, the sentence, the simple sentence that, that is the totality of the New Testament. And it is this, that God is doing a mighty work of healing, restoring, unifying, and reconciling all things in his son, Jesus. That's the New Testament. And I guess I had that on my mind because it was the first day of class, and I had a class on reconciliation. And if you have been to college, you know what it's like. You're sitting there, and when the professor's late, you're thinking maybe they'll be so late that they'll can't cancel class. So it was the first day. Right before we had to, to leave, right before the time expired that we needed to wait, hear the heavy footsteps coming down the hallway. And then in walks this priest with hair that looks like Einstein, with this big, huge uh, stack of books under his arms, and he slams them down on the desks, on the desk, and then he, he approaches the podium, and he goes, all right, class, what's the mission of the church? Like, even right now, probably you're thinking, how, how do I answer that question? It should be right there. It's so close to us. We work for the church. We should be able to just rattle it off our tongue. Instead, all of us in the class, we were like, do not make eye contact, do not look up. He knew he had us. He went, come on, it's the mission of the church, it's your roll off your tongue, what is it? He had this vague Northeastern accent. And then just to break the silence, he leaned in and he went, the mission of the church is Reconciliation. Come on, it's the name of the class. I'm like, oh yeah, right, mission of the church, reconciliation. The mission of the church is reconciling all things in Christ Jesus. I, I get confused by this dichotomy that we see in the church because some people will say, are you a social justice Catholic or are you an evangelization Catholic? Well, that's, that's the wrong question. Because there's one single mission, to reconcile all things in Christ Jesus. That's the mission of the church. We see that sprinkled throughout the New Testament. One place where we see that is going to be in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Matthew just kind of sticks this in there. It's just a little summary statement, but he uses it twice. And so we see at the beginning of it that Jesus went around the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the kingdom of God and curing every disease. The mission of Jesus was threefold. It was teaching, it was preaching, and it was healing. As Catholics, the Catholic Church is a phenomenal teacher. Have you ever read a church document and gone, if only everybody would read this. The, the, the world would be different if everyone would read this. 
because we're phenomenal teachers. We do okay at preaching. Okay. But how are we at healing? Are we a healing church? Let's continue and take a look uh, with, with the scripture some more. At the very sight of the crowds, his heart was moved with pity for them, for they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. I want to go to that word pity. There are three words for mercy in the New Testament. The one we're most familiar with is elios, which would be, uh, it was a pejorative word. It was a, a judge who was too lenient. He was so merciful. But this word pity is different. The word pity is splachna. And I'm so glad it's such an inelegant word because it is the root of the word spleen. So when Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved in his guts. Why was he moved so much in his guts? Like, oh, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I'm reminded of the line from Thoreau that said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Matthew concludes this time by saying that the harvest is rich, but labors are few. Well, how can that be when we have 47% of Americans identify with a particular religion now? We're under 50%. Well, that is indicative of the truth of that. The harvest is rich. Labors are few. Can we move to become a church of healing? Because that pain and anxiety does not go away. The mass of men leading quiet lives of desperation does not go away. That's the human condition. Can we move from being a teaching church to a healing church? That's the question for us. I want to offer some reflections on ways that we can become a healing church. The first is, is to go to people's pain points. Go to their pain. Because if we have the good news, then let's make that good news for hurting people who are leading quiet lives of desperation. Many of you who are in youth ministry, perhaps you uh, bemoan the fact that your seniors don't attend your programs anymore. Fine. Where's their pain point? So in my own church, what we have been doing is saying, well, you need to speak to their pain. And their pain is, what am I going to do with my life? I've got this huge adult decision right in front of me. Who am I? Am I going to go to the military? Am I going to go to college? Am I just going to get a job? Or option D, will I live in a trailer behind my mama's house with my, ba with my bills unpaid? That was my option, by the way. What am I going to do with my life? But we have this treasure in the church of discernment. That's a life skill that we can teach at this moment, that we can draw people into by going to their pain point. Second thing, 
I'm going to drop the buzziest of all the buzzwords that there is in the church right now, and that is accompaniment. I want to say what accompaniment means to me and how, how I have experienced that. I was driving, uh, after, after year two of just a phenomenal place of youth ministry, I was driving to a year-end retreat, and as I was going down, I began to see in my mind's eye these young people, and the young people were receiving the Eucharist. They were receiving the Eucharist. What hit me was, is youth group ain't saving them. But what's saving them is the Eucharist. God is already in their life. I'm not bringing God to their life. God's there. So what do I do? I am to dwell within the word of God. I am to know the Lord. I'm to know what his voice sounds like. I'm to know what it is like to walk with him. When he moves within me, I'm to recognize that in myself. And then when I enter into relationship with young people, now I'm able to call their attention to what God is already doing in their life. My job is to help them to say yes. That's my job. That's accompaniment. I was at a youth conference and I had spoken um, and told about some of the struggles in my high school years. After that talk, a young woman had come up to me and she said, I really relate to what you were saying because two nights ago, right before coming to this conference, my mom caught me smoking weed and it was the second time I've been caught. And what I heard in her voice was just absolute despair. She thought that she was going to be trapped in that her whole life. So I, I tried my best to coach her up in that moment. But then it was during the reconciliation service. I just was thumbing through my Bible, and I came across the story with the crowd outside of the house, with the, the synagogue guard who was bringing Jesus to his house to cure his daughter. And the crowd went, don't bother the master anymore. Your child is already dead. And Jesus said, she is not dead. She is only asleep. He walked in. He extended his hand to her. And he said, little girl, get up. And she got up. He said, Talitha Koum, little girl, get up. I knew that that scripture was for her. I walked across the Abbey Church, St. Meinrad, I went to her and I sat down. I said, can I read something to you? And I read the story. I closed my Bible and I said to her, you are not dead. You are only asleep. And right now, Jesus is waiting for you in the sacrament of reconciliation. And he says to you, little girl, get up. And I'm starting to weep, you know, and she's starting to weep. And I see her go and make her way to the sacrament and to be healed in Christ Jesus. This is our mission. Yes, we are to teach. And yes, we are to preach. But our mission is to heal, restore, unify, and unite all things.
in the Son of God, Jesus our Lord. Thank you.